Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Let's begin with Anna Kasparian on Ben Shapiro's show, which I watched this week. It was okay. interesting. She's from the Young Turks. She's uh, left-leaning. He's Ben Shapiro. And they had a conversation, uh, which was interesting. The part that I wanted to talk about was she, and there were points at which Ben agreed, was talking about uh, basically protectionism, wanting to strengthen labor in America, unions, workers' rights, minimum wage, all those sorts of things which she supports. And one thing that has always confused me about this, and I remember back to my conversation with like Vosh many years ago, was that it seems like, and if I'm wrong out there, guys, correct me, when you want a redistribution and you define it as within the bounds of the United States of America, what that does is it um, puts a ceiling on the wealthiest in America and it puts a, it raises the floor on some of the poorest in America. And if you look at that just from the perspective of America, you can make a moral argument that that's what we ought to do. We ought to, you know, people are too wealthy, they need to give to some of the poor. What I don't understand is that that is to the exclusion when you talk about like um, having protections where there's minimum wage that is increased in America, unions are empowered, that actually hurts the poorest people in the world is what it seems like because a poor Mexican or a poor person from Vietnam or whatever is now, um, if there are protective uh, You're saying tariffs like placed on imports, there's a lot of things, but there's there's generally what I hear when I when I was listening to Anna was this desire to raise the floor of the standard of living within the United States of America. But that seems to come at the cost of capital and of more free market flowing towards the cheapest labor, which would raise the floor of the actual poorest in the world. And so one of the things that is, does that make sense? Uh, sort of, yeah. So one of the things that has always confused me, and I felt this with Vosh, which is like, it feels very arbitrary from a moral perspective, not from a legal one. I understand that the United States of America is a legal entity. But to say that we want redistribution within the context of the United States of America, and we want to do it at the federal level, seems like a very arbitrary thing. Like, why not redistribute across the world? Or why not shrink smaller and redistribute only within states so that only Californians are, you know, the wealthiest Californians are helping the poorest Californians. Or then why not shrink that down to counties and have only the wealthiest people from Laguna Beach redistribute to the least wealthy in Laguna Beach? So this, so doing it at a federal level, which is where we seem like we have all these arguments of, you know, should it be the state? Should it be uh, the federal level? The one, the world level is excluded. And obviously there's not enough in the U.S. to go and like, I think it would be meaningful, but uh, there are just so many people in the world that even the wealth of the U.S. seems like it would not be enough to uh, to raise to the it, you couldn't raise to the standard of the average American, but perhaps you could raise the floor some. It has just felt like a very arbitrary thing to me. Where if you were coming at it from a more purely thoughtful moral perspective of uh, what are the minimum things that people ought to have in the world, whether that's access to clean water or uh, shelter or to not have to worry about war or something like that, that your focus would not fall on unions and labor in America. It would fall towards outside of the purview of the United States of America. And you would want, you know, you would want America to be sending money overseas through foreign aid much more often. Perhaps you'd want it to be more effective foreign aid. But the, I don't know, just the focus on like, how are Americans doing seems very arbitrary that a person from, you know, the top 
corner of Maine needs to feel connected to someone from the bottom piece of San Diego, but no farther into Tijuana. Fuck that person. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it is so goofy to me. And by the way, it doesn't matter what language they speak, as long as they're within the United States of America. It's like a very, I get that it is a practical thing, but drawing the line within the United States of America is just as arbitrary as drawing it around your state or your community or your fucking house, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I... um. I was, so where do you draw the line? You when I it. redistribute electively, I give to the world and I give, I guess I, you could say I draw the line to primarily my money has gone to humans because I have excluded non-human animals from a lot of my mm. money, which is like, why do that? You know, yeah, yeah. and I can, I can build that case, but I give to what appears to me to be the least fortunate humans via charity water and the anti-malaria fund, which you know, my money, my money goes the furthest towards making life-saving, um, disease-averting impact at a, at a much larger scale than it would if it was like, you know, I'm going to do better at tipping my, the delivery person or, you know, giving to the, the union. So that's where I give my elected money. And then I am just obligated via taxes to give, you know, and so that's, that's where I, technically most of my redistribution goes, but that's not, that's, I have chosen not to leave the United States of America behind. Yeah. People kind of shut down when you bring up this argument of like arbitrary lines, though. I had the same interaction with the person I met at the coffee shop and we mm-hmm. were talking about abortion laws in California versus Alabama. And she mentioned uh, wanting them to be, have safe legal abortions mm-hmm. in Alabama. And I said, that's great. What if people vote? And we did, we did all this. And then I said, what about Mexico? <laughs> and she was just like, I, I, I'm fighting for them too. I was like, but you're not. Like this was been, in, what about the Middle East? I haven't, we haven't talked about this ever. Yeah. Um, and it seems like if you're going to be like, you're, you're, well, there's so much like, okay, Turkey, you know, has this horrible, horrible earthquake. Yeah. Um, and there's money raised, but there is like, again, just what, the things that call people's attention via social media, via conversations that I'm having at dinner table feel very arbitrary and very disconnected from what might be a more, if we agreed on like, let's attend to the um, largest magnitude of the most severe human suffering as agreed upon by these particular things, like, I don't know, 40,000 people at least buried under rubble, starving to death or, or dying of dehydration while they, like, that seems pronounced. Yeah, and um, urgent. And urgent. But even even that, you might go, you know what? Actually, it's malaria, which kills that many people. And Like, you might, you can make arguments for that, but it does not seem like... Um, a lot of the issues in the United States. And all that I am saying with this is not that you can't help locally. I'm saying that the United States is not local, (laughs) is what I'm saying. Like, I get act locally. I get help your community. I get, you know, that person is connected to someone that you know, and there is a um, practical reality to wanting to help your own community. The United States is just not a local thing. And I go, well, if we're going to go this broad... Can we can we bring some of the poor? Like we just got to go across the border a little bit into Mexico, and you can find poverty that is uh, more severe and more widespread than you find in America. And your dollar can go farther. Can we rope that into the spirit of non-local giving that we're doing, or we're calling it local because it's th- th- those conversations I just get confused by. Yeah, I um, mean it's a strange thing when I like listen to Democrats and Republicans. It's like 
And sometimes it's like a Democrat is someone who has arbitrarily drawn their line of concern around the United States of America. And a Republican is someone who has arbitrarily drawn their line of concern around their state. Yeah. And is your wish that they would do something more practical to help the largest amount of humans? Because if they are just helping raise the floor for a certain amount of humans and it could be better spent somewhere else. Is that okay? No, I think it takes all types. I, I actually am not trying to change her opinion, and I mm. think it's good that we have people acting locally and medium locally and globally, et cetera. Like, but the moral argument for that middle ground of the United States of America feels... Um, I, I get that there is a practical federal government which is set up but if you are looking towards like a lot of more progressive people are towards like progressive change it's just interesting that you can find yourself like really not all you're actually not all that progressive <laughs> you're not you're not trying to build a new institution that funnels money from the richest to the poorest in a way that has a huge impact. start within the system you're like you're like starting within the united states of america as this fixed structure which it is and i get the practical reality of that um Perhaps we're just missing like a really far left person who is, you know, will say, no, like every American should be giving 75% of their income to the most effective charities around the world. And we can have that be a federally mandated thing because that is the moral, yeah, the moral thing to do. Um, but like, no, the morality is drawn just within the United States of America oftentimes and then to strategic allies sometimes. Um, so I just thought that that was not wrong at all. Like, I get it. I think that you you kind of have to be arbitrary in if you're going to help someone that you don't know. Um, but I thought it was interesting that there seemed to be such apparently principled debate that to me was just like, these are both random uh, spheres of concern that you, that are being drawn here. Um, and, and Ben Shapiro, too, was, you know, in this moment was seem to have a more solid grounding and like, I want to give back to my community. I know that guy. When I go to my synagogue, I want to redistribute. I want to do that. I want to help out the family. I don't feel that connection more broadly. His seemed more grounded in a, without some of the national identity and which I think is in, in large part a fiction of, you know, the commonality between the person from Maine and the person from San Diego, the, you know, all that we know about is they live in the same spit of land. But, there's a practicality to that myth, which is it is made, it's made for a very powerful country. And if we split into 50 different fragmented things, you know, the the overall power of the average citizen in America to get their needs met because we have this giant army that can impact the world and the Federal Reserve currency and all that kind of stuff, yeah. or the World Reserve currency, rather, um, might be diminished. So just thought that that was interesting, and I'm not trying to change her mind and wouldn't try to change her mind, but I would ask her about why. Why not further? Why not go further would be my question. And if, and if, and if you're going to say, well, we stop here, I go, well, why, why won't you accept that some people want to go smaller? <laughs> you know, like why is your Goldilocks United States redistribution the right one? Um, and I don't have an answer, but I'm, I'm you just want to test her, her logic. Cause it's obviously, it seems reasonable for me to go. I'm only going to go four or 500 miles to my left and right. I'm not, I'm not, or 200 or 100 or 50. Like just I'm not, my house. Um, which by the way, isn't what I think. I think that I feel a strong moral imperative to give back to those that have the least. And probably if it were, I feel like more than most people think is okay. It was it was interesting. I was even um we we spoke to Destiny. He's the leader of the progressive side. Everybody wants lower taxes. <laughs> and everybody yeah. everybody's like thirty three percent is about as much. I'm like, I again I'm, 
I'm not sure, but I think you can make a strong argument that the wealthy people, of which I include myself, when you look at the suffering in the world, ought to give fucking 80, <laughs> like more than you fucking want to because some people don't have water. Yeah. Um, well, uh, and I don't hear that. And so I, I like, it feels like people just found themselves in pre-existing thought things rather than building their positions from the ground up. And so we're like arguing between there's a bookend over here and a bookend over here. And we call that left and right when there's, if I think if you were building up from grounded philosophy of what is right, what is appropriate, if you're John Rawls and you have a veil of ignorance and you could be born anyone, anywhere on planet Earth, what kind of planet would you want to set up? What kind of redistribution scheme would you want? Because you want some incentive to earn to reward those who do work and do earn, but you also don't want to be born with no chance. Yeah. I would set up a scheme that had, that didn't have this country divide so strongly ingrained if I knew that there was the odds that I was not going to be born here. I was going to be born in Bangladesh or yeah. rural China, you know. Uh, question about the, because you said raising the floor actually, it raises the floor elsewhere or something. Uh, in the beginning of your talk, she was mentioning wanting to raise the floor only in the United States and then redistributing would actually raise the floor in other countries like India and Cambodia. I, I, I didn't understand that so, part. Okay, My, what I was saying is that if you put protections, and um, these can come in a lot of different things, and one doesn't do it, but you, say you raise the minimum wage in the United States of America, and, you right. do, and then you have protections, and you put tariffs and things that make it harder to get work from outside the country, because your goal, which a lot of people is, is to raise the average quality of life of the American citizen, because, and you can argue, because they are democratically elected just by those people, and so they, their job is not to care about other people, but be responsive only to their constituents. Um, that comes at the cost of money flowing. You know, it's, it goes to the American worker who is doing relatively good compared to the Mexican worker or the, I said, Vietnamese, or you pick, pick your country um, where that money could land harder. Gotcha. Um, and yeah. so this, is, this was Milton Friedman's argument. Is that, was, is that his name? The, uh, the big conservative guy from School of Chicago um, was that, Real redistribution, which I, I think there, there's um, some, I'd, I'd have to spend more time thinking through this, but I don't totally agree with this, that the best thing you can do is say, who wants the money the most? You're willing to work for $1 an hour? Well, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going, because you're willing to work for a dollar an hour, you're in a bad spot. That's going to help you a ton. And you're going to be able to raise yourself up versus your American worker who is, you know, would rather collect unemployment or only wants to work, get out of bed for $12 an hour. Um, you know, we're actually getting the money where it needs to go via the free market. And when you interrupt the free market with minimum wage, you are out compete. You're, you're barring the guy that wants to compete on wage. And that's all that he has because he didn't get the schooling that the American had. He didn't get to this. All that he has is his willingness to work. And when you bar that, even within the United States of America, and you say, like, we're going to raise the minimum wage to $12, well, now the guy who, you know, maybe is from Mexico, doesn't speak great English, didn't have all those initial, like, easy skills built into him, but is only able to compete on his hard work ethic, can't compete against the guy who did have the advantage of schooling because they both start at $12 an hour, even though that Mexican guy might be willing to work for five. Again, I'm not saying this is my belief, but I've had this argued uh, heard this argued, and I like purely capitalist. Let capitalism decide. Uh, the I'm terms sure that of there's some limitations, the but that's Milton Friedman is just like let 
you know, let the let the laissez-faire uh, hand of the market dictate everything, and he makes the argument that that is even the ethical thing to do, not just don't touch my money, but this actually helps more people. Um, and and I'm not enough of a historian. I know that the critique of him is that we tried the Chicago School of Economics in a lot of Latin American countries, and they wound up getting absolutely fucked, but I'm sure the critique of the critique is that it wasn't applied correctly. The same thing with communism, which we talk about endlessly. So I'm not well-versed enough in this to to actually know which one, but I did find that theoretically compelling yeah. when I when I listened. Um, and last point on that topic is um, it does feel, because I've been listening to a lot of Peter Zion, or Zion, mm-hmm. um, talks constantly about the globalization of America since, or the world since 1945. And it seems like the lines are arbitrary. Like we do get a lot of our imports and exports from other places. And then to... Uh, and reap the rewards of low-cost labor and, and um, importing steel, or not steel, um, all sorts of uh, product. And, yeah, it makes the line seem very, very arbitrary when we're doing business in all these other countries and um, benefiting from it. Um, that's it. Okay. Um, let me see. So... What else do I, there's a lot, these are all, these are all hard tangents. We could, let's go Hogwarts Legacy. <laughs> um, so I, I uh, downloaded Hogwarts Legacy. It is, for those of you who don't know, there is a, I, I don't even know what there is with Hogwarts Legacy. I was about to say controversy, but the meta thought that I have of this is the difference between internet, Twitter, and the world, which I sort of talked about last week with there being stories that are, you know, Philip DeFranco, who I watch on YouTube, is talking about these things which do exist, these websites where people will um, track who is streaming Hogwarts Legacy so they can plan to cancel them because Hogwarts Legacy is connected to J.K. Rowling, who they see as transphobic. Um, and so these stories exist, and of course it's just Wait like, till they hear where we get oil from. <laughs> well, it's breaking sales records, etc. What was interesting is when I, when I played it, what I found was it was no joke the most inclusive game I have ever played in my entire life, by far. So, so a lot of these things will start with like a seizure warning, but they don't all. And then it starts with, you know, the accessibility menu, which is the first thing. It's got colorblind options. It's got hard of, you know, your hard of hearing. How big do you want the text? Like all of this stuff that is not common at the beginning of the game. You'll maybe set the brightness or whatever. Um, the They don't label the voices male and female. There's voice one and voice two that your character can speak with, but they don't put a gender on them. This is in the build your experience. It's in the build your character thing. Um, yeah, there's there's uh, all these things. And then, of course, there's, I think the first that I've ever seen in a video game, there's a trans character that you meet as a, as a course of the main story without spoilers. Uh, this trans character protects you pretty without really even knowing you, just stands up and kind of does the right thing against the implied antagonist, who I assume is one of the antagonists. I'm just getting started. Just, you know, stands up, does the right thing, is an admirable person. Mm. Um, The professors are, like, it's the most international school ever. You know, it's the, like, the most, and I granted, I didn't go to one of the, I think there probably are real schools like this that are deeply international, but, like, I've never encountered a place so wildly international as this school every professor and it's not just like oh there's an asian there's an african it's like no that that person is from japan and this person is from uh, china and this person is a half mixed chinese 
a London person who's actually from London, but clearly has one parent. It was like, it's crazy. Um, and that this game, which is, is the one that is being boycott, uh, which I would argue is the strongest exemplar of what it sounds like or ostensibly the community that is really against it would like to see more of, I thought was um, n- not a mistake. <laughs> I think that that's actually the people connected. who are angry are angry that J.K. Rowling is is making money off this game or something. They're or angry they, that J- uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm it has sure nothing that she to is. do with the game. It has no, to do no, with the, her. And, and the Portkey um, games who make this have tried to you know distance themselves from her. And clearly, like I don't think share her politics with regards to trans people by the fact that they included this character in the game. So the outrage is specific to her, not the game. No, they want to cancel the game because the game. Yes. yes, and this is it. Where I go, like the, a couple of things. One, there seems to be not a. When I listen to some of the critiques, it seems to be animated by a not very thoughtful, reactive rage that is imprecise in its in its targeting, and is mostly wanting to be vented, expressed, and and um, to crush something. <laughs> is is when I look at it. The other thing is. The rage is also like in some weird way, it's if you just unplugged from the internet and went to your your GameStop and bought the game and like it's not real. Like if if these um, people at Portkey or J.K. Rowling just checked their bank account, <laughs> you know, like the game's amazing. It's not real if you just if you can disconnect from that and it occurred to me that like the mechanism by which these cancellations are occurring most often is there's no real groundswell like there was never a point with louis that he couldn't have sold out a stadium remember louis ck yes yep there was never a moment that he couldn't have done that what there is no he canceled himself well, he cancels himself some people get canceled by netflix like you know the master of none show with aziz ansari whatever but like it seems like what happens is that a small group of people put online pressure. It's almost always online. Very rarely does it spill over into the real world. Like there was a handful of picketing outside of Netflix for Dave Chappelle, but like that goes away. Yeah, corporations very usually quickly. pull out due to that though. Well, so this online pressure is put onto a third party who is not Louis, who is not Aziz Ansari, who is not whatever, who in order, who feels that as just like not worth dealing with or feels meaningfully real. And then they cut association with the person, which has a real impact in that person's life. But at no point was there actually, in most of these, a popular consensus that we don't want this person anymore, whether it's Dave or Louie or, you know, go through your your list of cancellations. Um, And it's kind of like, in emperor's clothes things where it's like we all agree that Twitter is real and I've even talked about this story now twice that this is a thing that is happening and it's like if we just stopped accepting that it's a thing that's happening and waited for the pickets and the and the, and the pitchforks to, to materialize they never would yeah they 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 just wouldn't like this is this is primarily an online short-lived and I don't just mean this particular one this style of cancellation is like a fast-burning fire that really only exists in internet forums typed out that very, very rarely, though it does on occasion, translates to real-world action. Yeah, I saw um, an article. Or, or mass real-world action. It does translate to real-world action, but it's with one decision-maker cutting 
that person. It's it's not like collective boycotts like the civil rights movement where like a whole lot of people boycott the bus system or the this or the that. Like they they actually um, had a groundswell that was real. This is like fabricated groundswell most of the time. Yeah, that can get tricky and difficult and because there can be a small minority of people mm-hmm. that think Andrew Tate is a rapist and they'll go to the police and then mm-hmm. it'll create enough of a groundswell to put him in jail and then see if the evidence is the truth. And those would be a small minority of an otherwise large population of men who, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, agree with him. Um, the one thing I wanted to say is that Twitter is now uh, getting 50% less of their revenue since September, since when uh, um, Elon. Elon took over. I will say it could be a misleading article because in fourth quarter, a lot of dollars go into. Mm. Um, so like what, what are you read an article that said their, their revenue? They've made 50, 50 million in this, in this quarter since, uh, and quarter four, they had 150 million. They've, they've lost a lot of big. Well, yeah, but how does that relate to the last year? Or exactly. Yeah. That's what why I, I want, thought. What I always want is just a chart over Can the last we see five year? years, quarter, quarter revenue, over the last five years, does it always go down quarter one? I don't need an article. Yeah. Just show me the show me the graph. No, but the point of the article was yeah. that Elon is bad for the company, and that Coca Cola is no longer advertising on the platform because mm-hmm. of a lot of pressure that Elon brings to the type of um, social media um, person he is. And <clears throat> exactly what I thought, which was just like it's quarter four. Maybe people were just spending a lot of money on holiday, and this is exactly what happens between quarter four and quarter one, January first. Uh, people go back to spending less money. Well, and the same thing with, uh, is there a groundswell of people that really care if Coca-Cola publishes ads on Twitter? Or is it like one person at Coke or one small group of people at Coke that probably have their own opinions or maybe were influenced by a handful of activists? Probably they're internal to Coca-Cola would be my guess. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's, it is interesting i suppose how the illusion of groundswell which obviously would need to be reacted to if there were people with pitchforks outside of your home you would need to react yeah it seems that what the internet has learned to do is to create the illusion and the feeling of that in people of the bully at your school these huge reactions um and oftentimes they're not huge because it's just like, let's pretend there's somebody that I want to have on the podcast and I get an online thing of this person is a Nazi, whatever. Now I can research all of their stuff, find what they're talking about, decide if it's true. Maybe it is, you know, may, but maybe it's not. Or I can just say, fuck it, I don't care. And I think that's most of the, most cancellations are just, I don't know this guy. I don't care. I don't want to deal with this, you know, like, and then it happens. So Feels like a good point to jump into Logan Paul, who what do you had a lot, who's had a lot of groundswell about people trying to end his career, and is just it's not a real. rocket. It's in the not skies. real. It's not real, man. Um, and this is what is important. I think that Andrew Tate intuited this. He's like, people disliking you online isn't real. It's just not real. Um, Donald Trump got this. What they what is very real are judges. Judges and policemen and jails are real. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I, and I, so we'll see what happens with Logan Paul, but yeah, he's not going to get canceled by the, he's got too many public fans. Um, he would have to agree to the cancellation himself. He would have to stop going out there and making stuff. 
for that to stick in any meaningful way, at least as it regards scriptures or to, to something beyond the pale heinous, which would, you know, create more of a groundswell. But yeah, he's uh, wildly unimpacted unless judges get involved, at which point there is real world consequences. Yeah, but, but there's no slowing him down. He's everywhere. Yeah. Yes, that is true. And the small update, which is what you just told me off camera, was that he shut down his Discord server, which was the server for the CryptoZoo people, which he well, promised. He locked, locked a lot of the channels and threads, and then people are asking what's going on. It's been about a month. Um, he promised $1 million in ETH to go back. dollars and none of it has been distributed as far as we could tell. And you know, my who knows what's going on, but my guess is that his lawyers probably didn't love that he made that video. Could be wrong, but anything that can look like an admission of culpability or guilt can open you up to further, um, you know, hey, he acknowledged that this was wrong. And so that can uh, stand against you. And now he's going into arbitration uh, against some of the people related to crypto too. Um, but moving on, these are totally random, but let's just do them. Um, these are a handful of smaller topics. Uh, Red Kareem Abdul Jabbar on LeBron James. He, I didn't know he's been a writer for a long time. He's been writing, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's solid. Um, he says that he would rather spend one afternoon with his grandkids than have the record for another hundred years, which everyone says all the time, especially as they get older, that they're like, what matters? And it is just interesting, and we know it, but a reminder that we spend so much of our lives desperately chasing that record, that championship, that achievement, that success, whatever. And almost everyone, when they get towards the end of the line, says useless in comparison to the most common thing in the world, which is like children or grandchildren. Charles um, Barkley was just on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Sorry mm -hmm. to throw you off, but was like, what are you doing for your 60th birthday? You're going out. What are you going to do? Something big? He's like, I'm going to spend it with my 10-month-old grandchild who I love. And he sits there and he makes noises and we hang out. Mm -hmm. It's just like, dude can do anything. Just signed a $100 million contract with TNT for the next yeah. 10 years. And he's deciding to hang out with a 10-month-old who poops his pants and... Uh, can't talk. He's yeah. almost walking, he said. And he's he's amazing. He's so close to walking. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's incredible. And it's not to... There's a couple ways to view that. One, which is the achievement really is important up until a certain age at which it loses its luster. So in the same way that, like, you know, Pokemon cards were deeply important up until a certain age and then, you know, getting girls to like you becomes important and then maybe achieving and then, like, that. there's just stages in life and one of them, you know, it's not that... It's not that kids were always a joy or grandkids were always a joy, but it's that they are in the last phase of life. But what seems to push against that is no matter when you tell people that their time is cut short, you know, whether you say you've got six months to live at any point in their life, they let go of the achievement in most cases and they go, shit, I didn't get it. And it's, it's just a reminder if this is not, this is trite old wisdom, but, um, the things that you will wish that you had more of are the, often the things you already have uh, when time is when time is revealed to be shorter than it is. And it's only like the illusion of a long time or forever or immortality that allows you to pretend that whatever your daily goals are of fitness or income or whatever are the things that are most meaningful because yeah. Um, yeah, connection with the fact that it's going to end, whether you're the one who's checking out or somebody else is the one that's checking out. Everyone says, I would trade it all for one more afternoon. 
Yeah. Uh, it seems like he's getting his affairs in order. Um, he went to the nice game. Guy. He was very nice. Yeah. He's notorious for just wanting to be left alone and people coming up to him and him not giving them the time of day. Magic has said that he literally made his personality the opposite of Kareem to give everyone a smile, shake every service person's hand, to like mm-hmm. not be a superstar because he saw the way that people reacted to him when he first met him in the locker room. Um, and what a drastic change because it seems like he's getting to the, he might have cancer. He, he's very old and he was very kind and uh, giving in his last appearance when LeBron broke his record. I'm wondering if you read anything else that he wrote. Just that one article, which he talks about what happened. He does say, like, people want to know what the deal is with me and LeBron. There is no relationship there, and that's probably on me. Um, I have, I'm super introverted. I don't, never hated the guy, he says, never. He says a lot, that a lot. Yeah. He says, that's been a reoccurring theme of people who've tried to talk to him, and he says, I don't hate the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I definitely see that it's on him. Yeah, he, he was... You know, he said, I think he, like, finished the year that LeBron was born or something. You know what I mean? Like, he was done with basketball. Like, we're, we're very far apart, and um, he's disconnected. He says, now maybe that's that's a rewriting of him being salty for many years and then just looking back and saying, oh, I never cared, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, couple other things. So we had uh, Cosmic Skeptic on. Probably it's been two or three years at this point. I want to invite him back because... Two days ago, he put up a. If you guys, who is Cosmic Cosmic Skeptic? Cosmic Skeptic is a YouTuber. He does um, rationality stuff. He does God, and he's big in the vegan community for making arguments for veganism. I think is one of the, though not a purely vegan YouTuber, was one of the more cogent voices for it, and has made made a YouTube community post saying that he no longer is a pure no animal diet at this point. Um, it was long, and he acknowledged you know, the feelings that he was having about sort of talking about this, but feeling it was necessary to share. It was a bit vague as to the reasons and people are interpreting, is it health? Is it just inconvenient? Um, What's, you know, what's changed? Um, And presumably he'll make a video, but I'm going to reach out. I would love to talk to him. That's a giant change to get on the internet and tell people debate on veganism. That's also fascinating to me. Like go out there. It's one thing to be a vegan and then turn Mm -hmm. to eating meat, but to get out there and then crusade for it and debate people. And I'd love, well, yeah. I mean, he was a ardent, strident voice for it. Um, People are throwing his quotes back at him and that even just that, which I find Honestly commendable. I do, I like, I not not just the reversal of opinion, which is not necessarily commendable, but the publicly stating of it, which he didn't have to do. He's not like a celebrity that people are tracking down and going to catch at a restaurant and one day expose him. You know, he could have, he could have hidden this, I think, pretty easily um, and just not spoken about it. And I find it commendable that he did choose to speak about it. Because I think with any, um, with any moral stuff, and I feel this way when people talk about socialism, and it's like they want socialism, but they won't make their company socialist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they won't do, no, I want it, is like, it is so much more valuable to know the ways in which we might fall short of an imagined moral ideal, what actually gets in the way, because it's only from that perspective that you can start to figure out with socialism or with veganism is that is there a way that we can work through these? Like, because if you're getting hooked up here and you love socialism or you love veganism and you're unable to follow through with it, 
this is the bottleneck that we need to talk to because you're clearly persuaded. Yeah, you're our greatest warrior. You're for- theoretically persuaded. But if you can't follow through, this is probably a sticking point for so many people. Yeah. Um, and so it's like really valuable when when people will open themselves up to honest un- discussion around these and things. learnings. What did you learn to come to this? Yeah, yeah. And I'd be deeply curious if his body if, failed him and he couldn't well, let's say it, it or whatever. Let's say it didn't. Like to hear, which I can, I'm sh- definitely this exists in my life. People really, there's honesty, which is telling the truth. And there's integrity, which is making your words, actions, and beliefs align. Honor. And a lot of people pretend to have integrity. And obviously integrity is good, and I don't, don't make me give a five-minute speech on why you want to be integrous. Um, duh. <laughs> but when people prize integrity, what I find is they often sacrifice honesty. So they make their words and their actions align and they are dishonest about their reasoning that gets them there. So they, you know, I, uh, I felt this in a moment and I really enjoyed the conversation. It's getting clipped uh, with Destiny when we was talking about his experience of, you know, why he eats animals. Yep. I was like, oh, he's, high, he's, he's claiming integrity. His words are in alignment with his purported beliefs, but I don't believe this. Like, this doesn't feel honest. I feel like the honest position that I sensed from him is, yeah, I, I can see that this is wrong and I do it anyway. Like, I can see the argument that the, the value of the argument that you're making, that there are inconsistencies in my belief structure in life, and um, this is not something that I'm pushing on yeah. right now in my own life, which is very human, very true. It occurs, and I think creating space to be honest without demanding integrity immediately of people is actually the long-term way to, to solve the stickiest issues in humanity because it's I think the way that you actually develop integrity there's ways in which it's going to come easy to you to be integrous you're just reminded oh I need to click that into gear shift how I talk about that I can change it but for the hard stuff you need to sit in the discomfort of honestly recognizing that you are not living in integrity and allowing that to be true for a period of time until something maybe moves in you yeah Um, or it doesn't you know, well, for personally, I think you've told me before, but a lot of comments wanted to know why, because you just brushed over it in the Destiny interview, why mm-hmm. you are a pescatarian. Mm. I mean, uh, I've I've talked about this so many times on the there's podcast. There's 500 new viewers. They don't know, so go through. Well, they're quickly. probably not on this podcast. To be they're fair. back, baby. They're back. They watched 120,000. Welcome, guys. This. Briefly, I've talked about this before. Um, yeah. Why? Why stop? Why did not full vegan? Why not? Full yeah. Vegetarian? Again, this is it. There's there's a bit of the um, prior conversation, which is, is there is some arbitrariness. I'll zoom out. The thing that keeps me from, I'm going to eat. I'm not willing to go full on anti, not anti-natalist, but like my life involves killing, period. That's where we are technologically. It's like, even if all I do is kill beans, I am going to cease life Mm. on this planet in order to survive. And I am committed arbitrarily to that, right? So let's start there. That is going to exist for me. Um, it seems to me, if I zoom out, like that's an interesting point already. That 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 you just acknowledge that that I don't hear in anyone else. It's like if you have a phone, like we're going to talk about eating meat, and we're like the cobalt guy on mm-hmm. Joe Rogan talking about human slavery that w- was involved to get your phone here, and it's like people dying because of the fumes, and the first acknowledgement of like, no, if, by me existing, I'm going. There's going to be consequences. There are there are negative consequences for other lives 
through your existence. my existence, period. End of story. And it's like not one-to-one because -one, I can't eat one bean. I got to eat all the beans. If I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. Um, and, and I've, I am committed arbitrarily to continuing my life. So we have that. Um, the other thing is that consciousness, suffering, these things I do not have direct access to. I am only looking at cues. So I, I have direct access to my own consciousness, my own field of awareness and my own suffering. But I actually don't know that you're not a robot. What I perceive is that you cry like I cry or yell like I yell or hurt like I hurt and you like and I am moved empathetically by that and I project an experience that I have onto you that I imagine that it is similar and I then engage with the golden rule which is I wouldn't want that unnecessarily either. Um, and there is some sort of an agreement but it's not even dependent upon like, of course, if you treated me poorly, I would do it. But let's just say that you were neutral to me. I would still not want to inflict, I wouldn't eat you um, because of that. And also then on top of all of that, you're my brother and I love you and I have a connection. But let's hold that to the side. Let's pretend you're a stranger. So then we go and you can apply this to cows, pigs, my dog, someone else's dog, bugs, um, all the way down. And what you find is that what appears to be a very clear line of like, there are humans and there are this and there are dogs and there is this, is that there seems to be gradations of consciousness, awareness, suffering, capacity, my ability to intuit that suffering. So like take, I don't know, a sea creature, a sea anemone that is an animal. Like can I have a clam? Can I have a mollusk that is a animal? It is alive. Reacts I presume it has, and I am projecting onto it some level of consciousness. Um, I, you know, we can cut it open and look at some of its neurons, but like I, that is not how I know that you have pain. Like I did not go into your brain and check your fucking pain receptor. I intuit that you have pain based on your reaction. And when you try to get the clam and it closes, something tells me it doesn't fucking want you to eat it, you know? So it's the experience of suffering. So for me, where I land on is people, which by the way, I'm putting into a category of sameness, which they are not because there are people that don't feel pain, have lower levels of consciousness <laughs> and that don't feel pain. And there's all these different things, but broadly speaking, like, okay, I, there's so much similarity there in, in my sense of their suffering and the, you know, the necessity of me. This is another thing, which is like, people do eat people in dire situations. You know, were I trapped on Mount Everest and there were seven of us and there was one, like, I don't know. What would happen? Guy froze. But that is not a necessity given my material things, and that's an easy no for me. And then as I move down the, the line, I go, there's this dog that lives with me. I love him very much. He seems very similar to the expression that I would see in a cow or a pig or, you know, especially those two that, that are very common in America. And I go, ah, yeah, I don't want my dog, which I can feel that with, and cows, which I've connected with, to be in those positions where it seems like they're suffering so deeply. Um, that's Then I go to chickens, and I go, okay, you know, how, what am I receiving here? They seem kind of dumb. You know, turkeys seem really out of it, but still, there, there appears to me, and this is where it becomes um, my own subjective projection of the capacity to suffer, cause, you know, I am not referring to we can talk about the brain chemistry and how their brain might be similar to mine, but I actually think that uh, where I really ground my moral sense is in an intuitive sense and not in a biological having sliced something open. Um, mm. Though I am open to that updating, you know, like if I found out, imagine that you found it, that the scientists determined that rocks, sorry for this pause, rocks felt excruciating pain. When you stepped on a rock, it was like having someone slam your hand in a door. 
You know what I mean? And they did, they discovered it because of the way that the neurons did like, you know, th that's possible. Um, but it would so clearly contradict with your experience of rocks and be like, it's, it'd be so hard to connect with that. I don't know how many people would find that moving, moving if like, you know, top scientists concur. And so that's sort of my point when people point to these studies of like looking into the brain of a human, a cow, a fish, a bug, et cetera. Uh, I find that less moving than the moral intuition, though I wouldn't bar that outright. So category of fish now. Then we move down into fish. And this is the area where I go, I feel very certain about mollusks. Something about it. I don't eat squid, by the way. Like, it's not just like, cause you're from the sea. Like my, I watched my squid friend or my, done. I was you don't done. Have to tell I me anymore. fucking done, dude. That was it. Um, yeah, a friend, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Moral of the story, my squid friend was actually the friend of the guy. Yeah. Um, my octopus teacher or something. Yes. It's called, um, Squid games. I get it. We watched it. <laughs> yeah. And so then I go, okay, I, I'm pretty sure bugs are okay when I look at bugs, though I, you know, I, sometimes I grab spiders and put them outside instead of smashing them. Um, mollusks. And then fish for me are that like dividing line where my own convenience does enter into it because like, okay, to survive off mollusks for me is like that upsets my stomach and there's, you know, um, that's tougher to do practically. Fish are still well within a practical range of I can get my taste buds made happy. I can get protein from them in a, you know, a dense protein source. Um, you know, I did lose 15 pounds, basically, not simply as this, but like when I stopped eating beef and chicken, became tougher to maintain weight and I'm still okay and I'm healthy, but there are consequences to that. And though I could make it up in protein shakes and fish, you know, practically that has not happened for me. Um, fish are an area where I'm open to discussion, truly. Um, I'm true. I'm open to discussing different types of fish. I'm open to discussing all of this. But for me, that is a gray zone that I have landed on. Yes. Uh, but I'm not committed to it for the rest of my life. Like I, I could, I could hear and see arguments because the way that I interact, I don't know when I was little, I didn't like hooking them. But then I was told oh, that the they worst. didn't matter, and then you take it, and they, I don't Their know, get stuck in but there. then they bite you. Then they keep biting the same hook over and over again. You go, is there anything going on in there other than like stimulus Come response? On, humans do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going back to my ex. To be fair, my dog would do the same thing. Yeah. He would just, oh my God, food. <laughs> he got sprayed by a skunk and didn't, didn't stop didn't chasing learn. skunks. Yeah. Um, so yes, okay. that's where I go. And it's sloppy at the range of fish. I yeah, feel clear seems, for, I, but, but it's not like if anybody's like, oh, animal products, it's like really, you wouldn't eat a cricket or you wouldn't eat a mollusk or you wouldn't read a this because the at some point you're getting so close to what it would appear to be the consciousness level of a venus flytrap that which by the way is you know outsmarting flies <laughs> every damn day um i guess what i'm saying is i see this stuff as existing on a continuum i think that it is unfair when people try to like draw these hard lines and yes. say that their line is real because it seems that even within the range of humans or dogs or like i'd like to draw two lines yeah how about hunting your own food and yes. how about invasive species of yeah, deer yeah. on Hawaii? So I've talked about this a million times, so I don't, don't want to go too deep into it. Okay. Um, but yes, clearly, the we those things mitigate for me. Um, okay. If you're going to hunt your own deer, like this is primarily an issue with the, uh, I Factory guess you could, farming. like, apparently there are two kinds of vegans. There's an there is a rights vegan, which is like, it has a right to life in the same way that like, it doesn't matter if a human suffers when you kill a human. It has a right to its own existence. And then there are welfare vegans, which is concerned primarily with suffering. I find myself concerned primarily with 
like suffering and I guess fall into the category of a welfare, but you can make the rights argument as well. Um, so yeah, so that's why hunting is uh, wildly mitigated and a, and a regenerative farming that treats the animals with um, kindness and gives them a good life would be much preferable to a factory farm. And all of those things factor into my own personal decision. So yeah, I've said, I've, I've, I feel bad because for, for regular listeners because <laughs> I've done this before. Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, Carl Jung, Jung, I don't know how you say it properly. Um, on complexes, I was watching a guy sort of talk about um, him. Uh, he was breaking down complexes. So you've got like the, you know, the mother complex, the father complex, these, these issues that people carry with them. Um, these remnants of the past that they can bring into their lives and project on everything. And what he pointed out, which is obviously true, but I am glad that he put into words, is that these complexes, which you can call mommy issues, daddy issues, etc., are extremely common. They're extremely common, but there is a deep, deep fear in acknowledging them in themselves. There is a shame. And in his own words, this fear provokes violent resistance. So it's like, People, which, which people recognize that there are people with mommy issues or there are people with daddy issues and like they're carrying this stuff, but almost no one is willing to claim that themselves. And when I look at the world and the amount of people that have owned their complexes, it is far less than the people that have owned their complexes from my estimation. And I think his pointing out that we simultaneously have a sense that these things definitely occur, are valuable, but not to us is it was very well uh, captured in his his quote that there's this violent resistance to feeling like you are one of those people, and I know that I felt that for a long time. I was like, no, I can't be one of those people. Not one of those people. Like, and I have, you know, it's okay that they exist. Those people with issues, like, but not me. That that that, and that was a uh, a horror for for me <laughs> to encounter. And I feel sometimes when I'm, you know, I did a podcast with another guy here. I he asked, so I opened up a lot about this shit. I feel comfortable talking about it, but the disconnect when I feel when I talk about my own past and our mom and our dad, et cetera, is that I know that the majority of the viewership is othering me at that point. And they view me as, you know, perhaps in a sensitive way, as one of those poor people that had the hard thing that they didn't have to go through. And what I really want to communicate is like, no, you too. I, I, without knowing you, I bet fucking money over and over and over again that you too carry this. Uh, as well and if I could take even odds on every single listener I'd be a very rich man um, <laughs> you know like and that is even people go yeah well that's the other half of the listeners but like I would take worse than even odds um, I would take ridiculous odds and if there was some uh, third party adjudicator that could you know at the end of your life we could determine if you if you had a complex related to your mom or your dad still at the time of listening to that I'd, I'd feel very safe in betting that you know, nine out of 10 people have it, but there is that resistance to seeing it in yourself because there is, I, I know that I felt a shame and I like fucking gross and I didn't want to be one of those people carrying that around when in reality it's, it's everybody. Yeah. Yeah. You were born. Yeah. You have parents yes. and uh, you needed to rely on somebody. Sure. Um, question, does Jung or this guy ever have like positive complexes they talk about that are super sweet? Well, I think that... Because they're often like mommy-daddy issues, right? Well, I think that what Fear you would say death. a complex is it's these fragments and remnants of the past that you bring with you. Now, they can have beneficial effects, like maybe you become a really so hard th worker. They're, they're actually just neutral, and then they just 
we tend to focus uh, maybe it's here on the negative. It's not ideal to not be able to let go of something. And not live in the present moment. You need to be informed by the past. People who are not informed by the past are babies. They are dumb. They are incapable. They cannot do anything. They are can't they? E- they can't even speak. <laughs> Their life's pretty sweet, actually. <laughs> they can't even talk. They have no past to bring with them, right? The problem seems to be when it is unconsciously brought with you and you can't put it down. Mm. And so, like, you're... The, the other thing is, like, I talk about projection. Projection is not a bad thing like to go out there and see someone with a certain style of clothes and a certain this and make assumptions based on your past experience about that person is a necessary way of surviving in the world because you can never fully spend enough time to deeply know anything or anyone yeah so you've got to bring that with you the problem is when it becomes wholly unconscious and unstoppable as a result of that so you never are allowed to update at a felt level what men mean to you or what women mean to you or what you don't even know the shit that you're bringing into your relationship. Um, couldn't even articulate it. If, if, you know, you just know that you've got commitment, you just don't like that, you know, and every relationship tends to end at six months. And No, you just have a history. That the history of dating history this type of, of person. It's always three months. Yeah, and they're always this kind of thing and it always breaks down and they always cheat on you and it always this, but it's not, you know, you can't figure it out. That's because you're dragging your complex with you through your filtering thing and through your not catching the red flags and moving away from them. In fact, probably moving closer towards them. So that's the problem with complexes. Mm. Um, so you have to kill your father and marry your mother. <laughs> so you have to kill your dad. <laughs> <laughs> and then gouge out your own eyes. Yes. Then you're fine. And then you're good. Is there anything you wanted to add? Spy balloons. I don't have too much on it. I don't, you know. Distraction from the U.S. blowing up the Nord Stream. This was the all-in <laughs> podcast take, which I just, you know, will point you towards because yeah, I don't know enough fine. about it. Um, but the idea was there was this Nord Stream pipeline, if you guys recall, that when it happened, it was like, you know, Russia did this to themselves, which... I didn't hear about it. Okay. You know, maybe, uh, probably a lot of people didn't hear about it. Um, and I'm not saying that it necessarily is important. Perhaps the interesting thing, which we come back to a lot here, is that the news is not for your benefit, man. The news is is to put you in its own service um, so many times, whether that's to purchase the ad or to act in a required direction in a political campaign or to just not look in a certain direction. But there was a Pulitzer-winning um, writer who, uh, we don't know if it's true, but he says that he's got a source. Um, Seymour primary Hirsch. Than Seymour Hirsch. Um, one primary source, I believe, with a handful of corroborating sources that says, no, this was a, at least U.S.-supported um, sabotage of this pipeline in order to achieve our ends of, like, you know, forcing Germany's hand Reliance to— on yeah, our natural on gas. Our, which they are now reliant on. And it's like, you know, the thing that he said, which I thought was appropriate, is qui bono? Who benefited from this? Like, the idea that this was good for Russia is just like, I don't know why they would, like, to— to then turn around and blame the U.S. for doing a thing that really wasn't strategically good for them. Like, um, and it does, not that, you know, you don't need to necessarily involve yourself if you are an American citizen in every um, story. But, yeah, if, if, if it was the case that the U.S. was belligerently, that's an act of war. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and it would reframe the understanding of this conflict to a degree to go, well, wait a second. Okay, so if we committed this act of war, what other sort of provocations did we make? Because I know that I think I sit in the position of a lot of people, which is you might have heard back and forth. Um, 
it's just a bunch of Russia lovers that are, you know, saying we should leave Ukraine. And then those people go, well, we're getting, we're edging closer to nuclear war. And then they say, well, Putin has and ends on this. And we say, we started it. And it's just like, I don't know how to adjudicate between those positions. And so I recognize that there are a different perspectives on this and mostly sit out. Uh, but yeah, it seems to be having the desired effect, which, um, yeah, it looks like people are getting the war that they want. Um, somebody's getting the war that they want, not yeah. the Ukrainian people, but no, um, seems like probably some high ups in the U S might be getting the war that they want. Um, yeah, that's it. Um, so for the Patreon this week, I was thinking about putting up that interview, cutting it ourselves and then putting it up sure. or we can link it to his channel. Um, we can ask him for it. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to check that out, I have the raw footage. Cool. We can, we, Oh, you have the footage. That's right. We're yeah. not here. So if you guys gonna... want to check it. Um, yeah, he asked a lot of, it's a lot about me. It's a lot about my past. It's a lot about, um, my feelings. Um, it's more than I've discussed on the podcast. I feel actually fairly comfortable with it, especially with my audience. It's strange to think that it would go out to a group of people who don't know me that well, that's why I would put it on the Patreon. Which but yeah, is like if you guys want to see that, Patreon, yeah, yeah, please. That for the if, Patreon. if you want to see it out, we'll put that on the Patreon. Um, cool. And any dollar amount will get you access to that. Plus, what we're going to do now, which is we're going to dive into my learnings from the week regarding business and uh, selected patron questions that are the best ones we've got. So appreciate you guys very much. If you want to support the podcast and see both of these, check it out. Um, yeah, I talked about stuff that I haven't necessarily before, and I think you might you might enjoy. So please check that out. It helps us, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.